Welcome to another episode of the History of Networking at the Network Collective. Today, we are talking to Dinesh Dutt about the divergence of compute and networking hardware, the consequences of this divergence, and why it's important to bring them back together again. Hey, and welcome, Dinesh. It's been a while since I've seen you. This is kind of a virtual way to see you. I mean, it's kind of been too long. What's really weird is, I think you're probably 20 or 30 miles from me right now because I'm in San Francisco. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I did not know that. So, so Russ, did you, did, you, part of the world. did you make it to the hotel or are you at the, air, at the airport still? I am literally at the airport still. Right. So you're sitting in a lounge somewhere recording this? Yes. Nice. Oh, very nice. <laughs> So Dinesh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what your background is, and um, we'll we'll meet Jordan so he can't talk. Bye, Jordan. <laughs> so, uh, hello, everyone. My name is Dinesh Dutt. Uh, what can I say about myself? Uh, that I love uh, Beethoven, Bach, and Beatles. <laughs> so... Um, I've been doing networking for the past, I would say, 20 years or so. And um, basically, my my entire time has been very much in the enterprise slash data center space for that duration. I have also forayed into storage area networks, but I would say to a large extent, it's been in the data center and networking space in the enterprise space. Uh, my primary, how would you know me? Why should you care? I'm the co-author of the VXLAN and the Trill Drafts. Uh, I'm also one of the key architects of many of uh, Cisco's enterprise slash data center switch, uh, business units, uh, key switching products, the Catalyst 6500. You know who to blame it on now. Yes. <laughs> all the gray hair comes from all the blame I had to take. <laughs> so uh, the Catalyst 6500, the Nexus 7000, the 5000, um, the Andiamo products, and uh, also I was responsible for one of the, uh, yeah, what's the word for it, initiatives, data center initiatives inside Cisco called uh, Vinci, which I think later on went on to become a little bit of in CMA, et cetera. And uh, after that, I was at uh, Cumulus Networks. I was a chief scientist at Cumulus Networks where I was advancing uh, to the best of my ability, the cost that I'm going to talk about today because I think Cumulus at that time or even now in, in some sense, uh, is pushing the convergence of networking and computing. And I think that it is time to open networking up to innovation again, as opposed to it being closed the way it has been for the past almost 12, 13 years. And uh, other than that, what else? I can also say that among the many other things you might like to lay blame on, the uplink fast, backbone fast, I was a co-inventor of those two as well with Silvano and Keith at that time. So done a bunch of things. So good. So talk to us about that divergence now. So a couple of weeks ago, we had Tony Leon talking about the ALU and the FPGA processor and the SSE, and then finally the uh, the the ASIC that will come out. So I assume that's kind of part of the story you want to tell about the divergence of computing of compute networking hardware and the consequences of that. Is that is that does that play into it, or is that a completely left field? I think that's not really left the oval, but I think it's part of the bigger puzzle. And I think uh, we, we, let's talk about that as a part of it rather than as something actually completely separate. Yeah, sure. I think the key part for me that I noticed, and I, this was specifically appealing to me, uh, making it a narrative. Once I quit, uh, Cisco went to NCMA, quit after a couple of weeks because I did not feel like I was being, that was going to be much of a technical challenge in terms of a learning or trying to move the envelope. I was sitting at home, Cumulus called me. The interesting part of what Cumulus's pitch was to me was that I kept hearing over and over again how people innovated around the network. If you look at all the work that has come from the academia or from various other places in compute, it's been phenomenal. You look at networking, the academia work has been almost negligible. 
right? They dabble here and they dabble there. They do things like open flow, but nothing really sticks. Nothing is really practical. Nothing is really pragmatic. Most of the work either comes out of a vendor or it comes out of the standards body, so to speak, which is just an extension of more vendors. Whereas if you look at the compute, the compute works completely differently. And if you go back to the history of networking, if you go back way back in time, you will see that TCP IP, uh, IP for that matter, which is the source of everything that we know today from a networking perspective and ethernet, all of those came from a very, very compute centric perspective. I mean, you know this probably better than me, Russ, that uh, the original routers were essentially spark workstations with two NICs in them. Right, and, and in fact, this is this goes back to a discussion that Donald Sharp and Jordan and I were all three on in another in one of the slacks we're on about ESIS and about how ISIS was originally host based routing right and exactly. you actually had the routing stack on the host it was a specialized little mini routing stack on the host that was designed just for the host Exactly. And if you even go back and talk to the system administrators, and it was interesting because I gave uh, the genesis of the stock, I mean, you know, occurred to me at some point, and I gave a talk at LISA, which is the large installation system administration conference uh, back in 2015. I gave a talk there, which also led to me giving a talk at SRECon uh, in Europe. Uh, around this fundamental idea about how compute and networking diverge and how that divergence has caused a bunch of problems. And one of the things to uh, kind of uh, refer back to your point was that I had a whole bunch of people come up to me and say, you know, Dinesh, I'm a sysadmin. I understand BGP, but I don't know how to configure a Cisco router. I don't know half the jargon that they throw at me, but I know what BGP is. I know how basic routing protocols work. But I cannot, I stopped putting any of that information in my resume because if I did not have a CCIE or JNIE or any of those things, people didn't want to hire me. So now what ended up happening is essentially a complete silo where the networking guys do not seem to understand what the compute guys do and the compute guys do not understand what the networking guys do. It's almost as if you had French and English, even though they come from, they have similar roots, they end up not really being able to understand each other. And this was not the case when, as we talked about earlier, the workstation was the uh, router, original router, and even IETF, right, had its maxim, which was rough consensus working code. Right now, it is rough draft, and hopefully we all agree on the author list. <laughs> and, you know, and the work that has been coming out has also been somewhat jaded like that, that there is really no user representation. It is very much a vendor-led collective. It's not a user-led collective. And it's so a ven yeah, it's just a vendor collective. That's right. And that's been like something I fussed about for years is that we all tend to, as network engineers, get trapped in vendor land, right? Yep. We're yep. What, what I call meta engineers, right? Yep. We all know how to sling the Cisco CLI and we don't know how te the technology works. It's yep. really, really frustrating for somebody who lived in the world prior to that yep. to live in this world. Exactly. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I understand, I believe, and I empathize with the reason for the divergence, right? I mean, the routers, they needed to do a lot more processing speed. The general purpose compute at that time, the general purpose processors at that time were not fast enough. They were too general. So to try and do something with a more generic processor to be able to control power, it made sense to take the approach that Cisco took with iOS and then the switching ASICs and all of the stuff that happened. So I understand that there was a traction and there was a reason for that roadmap. But why I am talking about it today is that despite the advent of many other technologies and all the new stuff that has happened since then, since those early years, it still seems to be networking is stuck in a very, very appliance-driven a uh, non-compute specialized world where the problem seems specific to it, when in reality, it's just a general problem that everybody else has in many situations. Russ, you're muted. Yes, I know. That's, now Jordan's going to put that one on the, <laughs> on, on the bloopers reel too. I can see it coming. <laughs> rather than going down the path of video gaming, it, it's like the networking world went down this path where we built a box to do nothing but video. Yeah. And, and that's like a totally separate thing. If you want to do yep. video, you do that. If you want to do tech stuff, you do it on your computer. You yep. know, it's the same thing. And yep. rather than saying, 
well, we should just build hardware that plugs into a PCIe bus or whatever and just do switching on a standard box. We got into all this weird specialized operating system and stuff like that. Exactly. And more to me, when I look back on it, the fundamental problems that I see, for example, take a simple example, right? When we started uh, Cumulus uh, way back when, the ability to upgrade a package, the ability to do ZTP on a box was considered rocket science. I mean, today, five years from now, after that, many people say, yes, it's all doable, et cetera, et cetera, even though many still don't do it, but they can do it. But it seems like rocket science when the compute industry had moved. When you think about how the work is done, it seems to me that the work is still done very much siloed. Like this is a different domain. I don't want you to think of this as the same domain. And don't get me wrong, you know, machine learning is compute, but at the same time, machine learning has got certain characteristics, problem space that is different, which is different from say, on the same compute side, a database. I'm not trying to say that networking doesn't have its little niche, but to divorce it from the rest of the world, the way it has gotten divorced has led to a kind of a stunted evolution. It's almost like an island evolution as opposed to one that is structured around a larger ecosystem that can benefit from the conglomeration or the confluence of the two different worlds somehow mixing together. As a simple example, take package management. Do we really need is networking a package management a problem? I mean, is package management a networking problem? But Arista has their own package manager. Cisco has their own package manager. Juniper began with BSD and they have their own thing. And yeah. instead of just solving, like, look, guys, there are a couple of them out there, Linux, RPM, Dev, just pick those and move on. Again, when it began, there were not such things. But now that you have it, and all of them use Linux at the background, yes, Junos uses BSD, but all of them use Linux in the, in the back as their fundamental operating system. Why do you want to take away the fundamental benefits that you get from already relying on a consistent operating system, a common operating system. Yeah, so so I think part of this comes from the reality in the early days when iOS was written, it was written for software-based switching and Linux couldn't actually do software-based switching the way that iOS did. So, you know, they built this entire operating system around a run to completion like a Windows yeah. Windows well, 7, Windows 6, well, Windows yeah. 98 type of model and that was the way to do software-based switching really fast because you had to do it in the interrupt context in order to get the switching speed fast enough. Yep. But when you build your own operating system, you lose access to all of those tools. And then somebody yep. comes along and says, well, I want all those tools. So you do, oh, you know what? I'll do sausage loader. Remember that yep. Donald sausage loader? Yep. I do you remember, remember that. that as well, right? You know, and, and we'll do all this other stuff. We'll modularize iOS and we'll, we'll rebuild all the same tools again. Yep. Well, that seems kind of silly once you get to ASICs. Yes. And from ASICs now onto Merchant Silicon, so to the point you were alluding to earlier about ALUs and FPGAs, just as once upon a time in compute, again, don't get me wrong, my point is not that networking somehow made uh, a bad choice then. It made the choices it had to. Compute made similar choices. There was Spark, there was MIPS, there was uh, PA Risk. There was everybody touting. I mean, I remember in those days reading articles after articles touting the benefits of Risk versus CISC. Who cares today? Nobody talks about it anymore. Nobody yeah. talks about whether the Spark has. I mean, Solaris is a better operating system than yeah. HP UX. Yeah, ALU processors on the side to take care of all your math, that type of yeah. thing is all a big deal. Yeah, all of that has gone away. Yes, you've got GPUs, yes, you've got CPUs, but they have managed to coalesce around a common framework, which is a processor, which has a certain set of characteristics that is well understood. And the way you move along is when you want to make the next leap in evolution, so to speak, what you do is you just wait for the next uh, evolution of the processor and the higher processor speed allows you to do all kinds of newer interesting things. I was having a machine learning guy uh, tell me the other day, Dinesh, it's funny, 20 years ago, I was learning uh, neural networks and today I'm learning about the same algorithms again. It's just that the compute is so much faster that those algorithms are practical now. And so the evolution changed in some sense, just, you know, the uh, rising tide rises all ships, a rising network bandwidth just rises 
a whole bunch of things and gets rid of a whole bunch of problems. That's not interesting anymore to be solved, whether you think about it as QoS, you look at all the complexity of the MQC system, or you think about private VLANs, and you think about how routing being a first-class citizen in the switching silicon ASIC today means that you don't have to think about layer two at all. But the things that we brought in at that time takes a long time to change. As someone said, uh, I think it was Max Planck, uh, physics proceeds one uh, funeral at a time. And sometimes it looks like we do not want to proceed because of the things that we have learned. As opposed to thinking that, you know what, networking is just like compute. The fact that I open networking up means that now I get to benefit from not just networking, but I get to understand compute and how compute works. And now there is a consilience, a confluence of these two things that allows me to create and think about problems differently than I had to before. Yeah. So, so I would say networking proceeds not by one funeral at a time, but by yeah. one company shutting down at a time. Yes. <laughs> so that's the modern, yes. In this, I feel like, I feel like, and please correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like at the beginning, like we had to make these decisions. There were decisions that had yes. to be made simply because yes. of the fact that, you yes. know, networking was a different problem than computing. Yes. The hardware was a completely different thing. What we've yep. come was we've come full circle. But I mean, in the middle there is, is the idea that, you know, uh, We'll, we'll pick on Cisco because they're the, you know, they're the 800 pound gorilla, right? Yeah, we can pick on well, them. They'll and, take it. And they were the first. And yeah, they well, were but, but and, and there's a reason why I'm picking on them is because, you know, they developed iOS and iOS had all this momentum. There was a whole industry that understood how to run it as good or bad or whatever. Any innovation which caused a change in the way you operated it was a big deal. Yep. It still is a big deal. When people yep. talk about Juniper and Junos, when it came out, one of the big pitches about Junos was the fact that they didn't have all the backends that iOS had, right? Yep. Like, I mean, it, was, it wasn't yep. there because everyone wants backwards compatibility. And yep. so while, while I hear what you're saying, absolutely true, you know, like you said, uh, rising tide raises all ships. It absolutely does. And if you can take advantage of some of those things, like Linux package management, although I imagine that's really hard to license, by the way. So I imagine that's another factor in this conversation is, is, you know, licensing access to patches is something that Cisco does incredibly well. Not just Cisco, everybody does incredibly well. Um, yeah. And and if you just have it as an RPM out there on a server. Is that a joke? No. <laughs> no, no, it's not a joke. It's something they do very well. Um, it's, it's a big monetization stream, right? It just sounds like all the momentum was going the opposite way. So you have innovation going this way and all the momentum is just going this way. Yes. Right. Well, it's it's okay. And to make matters worse, now I'll say something that people aren't going to believe I'm going to say, but certifications came into this game and actually made this worse. Yes. Than making it better. Well, it just drives, it drives the ecosystem of engineers who know how to do it one way. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. And the other part of all of this, again, to me, is not just that innovation. I mean, you know, someone might, you know, if, if I were to play the devil's advocate here, someone might say, oh, come on, look at the compute guys. They are all completely raised on the Linux uh, CLI. And, you know, they are going to fight a change to the Linux CLI as hard as the networking guys are fighting a change to the iOS CLI. So to me, I think, you know, the one of the funny things was when this whole SDN uh, what I call the SDN uh, somewhat, uh, you know, still does nothing uh, revolution was going on. Part of the problem was people were pointing out and saying, look, 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 in Linux, in compute, we have got all these different things, whereas a network admin still types on the CLI. Guess what? Server admins type the CLI. That's the wrong space to pick on anybody. And you know what? Compute has difficult problems to address in, when it's a distributed system, and network has always been a distributed system. So I don't want to pick on the networking people as if they are somehow done, uh, you know, they are not brighter or anything. The key point I want to make is there was a reason, there was a momentum that has changed, and it is important to understand why the change needs to happen. And the primary reason why I'm talking about it, everybody seems to be talking about the change from one of two perspectives. The first perspective is, oh, it's going to cost me a lot less money. And that's the whole cheap white box solution, so to speak. The and second you, one is, if you're going down the white box path to save money, stop now. Right. You're, <laughs> you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna spend the money. You're not going to spend yeah. it on hardware. 
But yes. But you're going to spend it in the engineering required to make a system like that run. Yeah, I don't think that that's entirely true, but let's put on that. Let's <laughs> I'm getting called out. All right, let's do it. Cost <laughs> or they want to talk about it from the perspective of, hey, you know, I have a different solution, anything but Cisco solution. And I think both of those answers or approaches are somewhat wrong if they're not grounded in the fundamental fact that what it really truly does, which is why I think a Linux-based ecosystem is important, is it gives you access to consistent tooling. It gives you access to doing things in a consistent way. If you take a look at Google, and if you look at there, for example, they have a thing out there, a distributed tracing tool called Dapper. And they said that today, whenever we ship out a new thing, and I'm sure they have a new version of it, it's called something else, called probably Zapper for rather than Dapper, and Dapper is the paper that's out there. But independent of that, the key point is that because they used a consistent set of tooling, they were able to troubleshoot, build systems at scale in ways that others were not able to. They were able to innovate. Facebook does a similar thing. Twitter does a similar thing. They all are structured around consistent tooling. Networking has always lacked an ability to do consistent tooling, right? Our trace route, for that matter, Cisco's trace route, I believe, fundamentally has a different set of options than Juniper's trace route, probably, or Arista. Yeah, and, and works differently too, by the exactly. way. Exactly. Some yeah, some of them work on UDP, some of them work on TCP, some of them just different ways. And exactly. Also, and and, and go, to go further than that. We have this entire concept in the networking world around chassis systems, which we were talking about last night, right? Yep. And this whole concept of specialized backplanes, which are really just yep. cost fabrics. Yep. And we're doing all this nonsense around, we're going to have all these specialized backplanes and stuff that we're going to do, all this specialized hardware. When in reality, you know, while PCIe may not be fast enough, well, it was for the 7200, maybe it's not fast enough, but maybe maybe we could drive the compute guys to faster backplanes to support what we need for real-time switching in some cases, rather than going out and inventing something special that uh, you know causes the network, the, the market to bifurcate and cause all sorts of problems. And also the other part of it is today, you've seen solutions come out from OCP, uh, whether it be the backpack or whether it be uh, Open19 from uh, uh, Linux, uh, from LinkedIn, which is essentially, and there are other people who are doing similar things, which is essentially you build a chassis, but the backplane is really just a class. It's an internal representation. And the problem that they are solving fundamentally with that is a cabling problem, not an attempt to, to provide a single monolithic system. Solve the problem that is really critical that people I understand have difficulty with, which may be cabling. Don't attempt to solve a different problem altogether. Right. Well, AGS plus the 7,500 or 7,000, sorry, was essentially a change in cabling. That's all it was. Yeah. It was, it was external cables to an internal passive backplane. Yeah. It was the same thing. And so I think that to me, one of the things I've seen over and over again is that networking, because it's been driven the way it has, it has not yet caught up to the world that computing is. And the difference to me, like I was saying earlier, while the Linux uh, server admins might be as beholden to Linux as a network admin is beholden to an iOS-like CLI or a Junos-like CLI, so to speak, I believe the fundamental difference is Linux is primarily driven by developers slash users, whereas networking is primarily still driven by vendors. It's not an open ecosystem. And yeah, that I'm, glad, I'm glad you didn't say network engineers because network is not networking is not driven by network engineers. Yes. The other thing that's kind of interesting is that a lot of network engineers don't know how to contribute because they've not been asked to contribute. That's yes. That's a fair statement too. You make a good point that, you know, a lot of them have not been asked to contribute. And many times I would stand up and ask questions and I would not see, and that actually manifests itself even a little bit on the compute side. But the problem again is, I think one of two things. One is the historical baggage, I think has gone on long enough that we need to stop and go back and say like, guys, if you want to really retake networking, if you really want to uh, make networking be a first-class citizen along with compute so that the combination of networking and compute can unleash a revolution and a change and an innovation system and pattern that is completely different, just the way Linux and Intel were able to do, I think the ability for us to embrace that and to think about it from what innovations can come about because of this marriage is going to be interesting. 
So today, for example, solutions like HCD. So you have customers who run HCD, which is the basis for Kubernetes. Oh, I want to announce a IP address from a container. You know what, if I could run HCD on the top of rack switch, then I wouldn't need an additional thing. I could use HCD itself. And you know what at this point? HCD becomes the consistent tooling mechanism and compute and networking become part of a larger whole where you decide where do I want to really run a function? Where is it most appropriate to run a function as opposed to- Or, or we, go back to, we go back to ESIS. Pardon? Or yes, we go back, back to ESIS, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We have come full circle. <laughs> As Radio said, why would you want to connect two Ethernet segments together without routing? We know how to route. <laughs> what's, what's wrong with this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the other part for me is I think if you go and look at compute again as an example of what I'm talking about and why this is more important than the cheapness of the price or something else, anything but Cisco or anything else, is the fact that when you have a lot of eyeballs on the problem, the whole thing becomes much more interesting. For example, if you take a look at the toolkits that come out, you know, in Python, there are probably like seven or eight or 20 different web server instances. And each one of them now, do we really need 20? The point is not that you need 20. The point is that there's an ecosystem that allows people to do what they want. And it gives you gives rise to interesting problems and solutions because three different Python web server implementations optimize slightly differently. And as a customer, you might like to pick one versus the other. For example, if you're running a small web server, you want an embedded web server, you want a REST API, you might choose Falcon. If you're running a big honking server, you might decide to go with WSGI because you want the plugin infrastructure. Or you might say, I just want Flask. The trouble is in networking, you can't even have that conversation. Forget three. You have just one. If it's Cisco, you got one. If it's, yeah, I just tell you yeah. what's interesting about this too is that, yeah, what's interesting about this is, is that there's also this sense in the networking world right now that we could replace routing protocols with just a distributed database. That's not really what we're talking about here. What we're really talking about is there may be 50 different distributed databases, some of which may be optimized for the routing problem, for distributing routing information. Yeah. You don't have to always choose zero MQ or rabbit MQ or whatever the case might be, Redis DB, in yeah. order to get that information out, just because it's a general, day general purpose database. I mean, people invented Redis DB for a reason. Yep. They, they just didn't use Oracle or Microsoft SQL. They invented a new database. Yes. Yeah. So the reason they did it. So it's yeah. just with routing protocols, right? There's yeah. nothing wrong with having customized flooding mechanisms and things like that. It's just that the community is small enough and everything is so proprietary and closed in right now that we don't have these conversations. It's exactly. And if you think about it, right, the, not only do we not have the conversations, the very proprietary nature of the situation has driven us to, in my mind, a really horrible solution, like taking link state information, stuffing it into a BGP, AFI, SAFI, just to distribute it so that a link a controller okay. has a, some way of knowing how to actually even worse its traffic. Even worse, then run SPF across it. Yeah. Exactly. And people actually seriously with a straight face spend hours talking about this as opposed to saying, guys, you know what? I have a communication. I've got all the information I want. Take the LLDP information, the physical network information, stick it in a distributed database that is reachable by everybody. Bingo, you're off. Controller, have access to this distributed database. Go at it. Do what you want. That's right. Why do you want to take BGP and stuff inside that a link state protocol information just so the controller can do some things? <laughs> right? This pursuit of is it just was mind-boggling the hours and the days and years that people have spent working on this and continue to work on it. Well, they see a business model, right? Pardon? Yeah. They see a business model for it. They see a business model. Yeah. Sure. I'm sitting here and I like I'm I feel like a broken record. If you watch like a series of episodes that we've done, it's going to sound like I say the same thing on every one because I I just we keep coming back to the same thing. I feel like there's two types of networks in this world. There's the ones where people see them as a potential competitive advantage, and if that's the case, everything you've said is relevant. 
But I feel like the other trend, right, is that people are looking for the easy button network. I just press it, it does it, and I and that, and that's really the direction that a lot of enterprises are going. I just want the cookie cutter thing. I want it to all plug in. And so, like this, I think is in, in complete contrast to what you're saying. I don't want to be able, like, I don't care about innovation. It's essentially the statement is networking is a solved problem. I just want to plug things and I want them to talk to each other. I don't have to worry about it. And so. And so I think that, you know, as we, as we talk about it, it's, it's interesting because trends, right? I mean, we can blame the vendors all we like, uh, but the reality is the vendors are only responding to what customers want. They're, they're going to put out equipment and things. I know Tadesh is going to call me out again. I see it. It's coming. Um, <laughs> but, but they, I mean, like in reality, right? Like the push button network, I mean, I think they'd rather sell you something complex because it locks you into them. I think they'd rather sell you something. Yeah. Now the, the push button network, I, there's subscription models and all kinds of things they're doing to make it worthwhile for their time. Don't get me wrong. I know that they're very excited about that as well. But the idea is, you know, like uh, there's a group of people that are going to, that this message will resonate with. And I think those people are already heading the direction you're talking about. They're already well, thinking sure. about it. Not that they're necessarily doing it, but they're at least starting to think about the network this way. But I'm, but I'm not sure entirely. I think that what's going to happen over the next three to five years is we're going to see this, open daylight, not to use the controller name, but we're gonna, <laughs> two worlds diverge a lot more than what they have. And I think the one world you're talking about is actually going to, where is gonna happen like VCE and stuff like this, where it's gonna be blended and you're not gonna buy network. You're gonna buy a rack. Yeah, it's gonna be hyper-converged or it's gonna, it's gonna be, be uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, right, it's, it, that's the way it's gonna go. It's gonna go liquid, it's gonna go Iron Mountain, it's gonna go VCE, it's gonna to be totally hyper-converged. It's gonna be ACI generation 25 when it actually works perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gonna, you're just gonna plug it in and it's all gonna work. And you're not even gonna think about what the network does. And if it fails, you're gonna take it to a network mechanic just like you do your car today. No, uh, and, and that's definitely the way things are heading first for the one side. Right. Right. And, and it's not everybody because obviously right. on, the, on the far end of the spectrum, you have the web scalers who've already been looking at the problem this way. And that's starting to filter down into larger enterprises and other companies where it matters. Um, and I, large is one of those designations. I hate, I hate saying that because there could be a small company where the, where the network it's has a competitive advantage. Yeah, it's, it's all, yeah. yeah it's, it's all about whether or not I actually want to do something with the network that, that is different right. than what I can buy out of a box. Yeah, I think, Jordan, you make a point that I think does not exactly talk about a different customer base. I am not talking about the ability to do a do-it-yourself network at all. I am not talking about that. What I'm talking about is this whole notion of an easy button network is a consequence of the complexity that we have built into network. For example, just take a look at the machinations that I have to go through to simply say, I want a class fabric with this topology and I just want routing to be enabled. If you look at the BGP configuration that you have to do, if you look at the network automation that you have to do to actually achieve that, nobody's attempting to solve it. That's why when we did BGP unnumbered, the beauty of it was, it was not an attempt to say, I'll give you a push button network. It was an attempt to say, if I give you a simple language, I don't think you're going to complain about it. This whole notion of intent-based networking is again driven by, I have 50 lines that I have to handcraft. And I don't have a way to figure out how to handcraft those 50 lines. So here's my intent, give me a working network. And the problem is, you know what? You may have a happy marriage, I may have a happy marriage, but our happy marriages will not look the same because we are different. Yes, we'll in general both have exhibit certain symptoms, certain characteristics, but they are different. Even in the data center, even in between Google, Facebook, Amazon, Twitter, their networks look different because what they run on top of that is different. And so my problem is not the easy network. My problem is in the guise of the easy network, what people are hearing are actually two false choices. The first false choice that they are presented with is, hey, here is a 50-line handcrafted configuration that you need for your network. Oh, my bloody God, I don't know what to do. The alternate that is presented is, see, this is what you get out of vendor configuration. What we want to do is open networking. It's going to be cheap, and you're going to do it yourself. And they go, wait a minute. I don't want to do it by myself. 
And I think that both of them are false choices. What I'm trying to say is that you are looking in some sense at people who have presented these false choices. To me, that is not the choice. The choice is not one of, I want 50 handcrafted lines or I want to do everything by myself. I want a simple network. I want the ability to be able to express what I want in a simple enough model that I don't have to go through either saying, give me a push button. The push button, if all you had to do was say, enable routing, and that was all you had to type, you didn't need a push button for that. If you say enable routing with BGP, you didn't need a push button for that. If you want to say enable routing for BGP on these links, you didn't need a push button for that. What you need to push button is enable routing for BGP. Oh, by the way, I have to configure an IP address which has to match on both ends of the link. And oh, by the way, I have to configure an AS number. And what is an AS number here again? And oh, by the way, I have to configure all of these timers. And in order to configure these timers, I have to understand. Now is where people begin to say, help me, give me an easy to push button. But to me, yeah. that's a false choice. But I don't so, think so, yeah, a couple of things there, Dinesh. First of all, I think people are working in that area. I mean, Open Fabric is, is one attempt to do this. I think Rift is perhaps another attempt to do this type of thing. Um, and of course, the work that Cumulus is doing around much easier BGP configurations and things like this. So I think there are people starting to think about this, but I almost think they're thinking about it the wrong way in many cases, where they're thinking about solving the wrong kind of problem. So the second thing I would say is that, you know, before I said, that networking has to advance as one company dies at a time. That's actually what I think is I think part of the problem here is we have a bunch of companies who believe the network is not a strategic advantage to them. And it is. Everybody's marriage is different. Everybody's network is really different. We don't believe that today. And so yeah. what we do is, is we hand everybody the same wedding rings and go, oh, go have fun, you know? And the reality is it doesn't work that way. <laughs> if you're running a business, your business needs to be tied to your network in a way that gives your business advantage. If you're not doing that, then you're not running your business to the optimal efficiency and you're going to be one of those businesses that ultimately fails, in my opinion. That's where I think things go. And I think this that is why I want to say this convergence of compute and networking is important because then you have a larger set of eyeballs and people know how to make trade-offs between the two as opposed to today saying networking is done by these guys and I have to pay them a different kind of money as opposed to compute, which is done by these set of guys. And now I have a wall and all I have going with across the wall are wires or something worse than that. And arguments because they yes. don't see eye to eye. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that is why there are two things, right? There will be businesses and to your point, Jordan, I think there'll be businesses which say, I don't care about any of this. They will probably move to the cloud where AWS or whatever else will give them the answer that they want. They do not want to maintain infrastructure, network infrastructure, maintenance, upgrading, all of that is a pain. I don't want to do that. They'll go to the cloud. The ones who want to do something about it in-house for whatever reason they want to do it in-house have to understand that the two are somehow in syncopation. And in order for you to understand that syncopation, you cannot treat them as two separate worlds, which is how it is treated. And that is why it is important to tie them back together again. Because if you go look at what the cloud providers are doing, they are doing this exactly the way we are talking about. They have married the two worlds. They no longer have silos. Oh, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I just, I just think that you know, every time we pull out this example, it's a cloud provider or a hyperscaler that we use as the example. I think that's a problem is because I think most enterprises look at it and say, I don't need that. Um, no, I'm not saying you yeah, need that. No, and, and I, I know what you're saying. What I'm yeah. saying, though, is that when we say, okay, well, look at what they've done and look at the flexibility they've, they've achieved, the, the innovation they can do, and that's absolutely all true. I just, you know, I, I, think, that, I think that really the point that I'm getting at is the fact that for, for the world to shift to being willing and, and, and moving in the direction of, of open networking, uh, this idea of, of having, you know, a common set of, of, of things that people are working on in a, in a straight direction like Linux was in the server world. Um, there needs to be a reason. There needs to be a win for it, right? And so right now, that I, th I think the problem is, is everyone's gotten accustomed to the idea that it cost X 
Everyone keeps paying X. Everyone doesn't like it, but clearly it's not enough to drive them that way in any major way. And what what is the what is the killer feature I get by going an open networking decision? And this is one of this is one of the great things that the that the vendors have done in closed systems. And as soon as something catches on, it's like, oh, we can do this in open networking, but we can't do it here. Well, guess what? Guess what the next feature set is? Oh, guess what? Yeah. We can do that too. Whether or not it actually works or whatever, it gets pitched. Or, and or so whether it's, a, it's a real thing, SDN. Yep. <laughs> right. And so, and so how do we, how do we get the momentum? Cause I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. I just, I guess I I'm looking for the, there's a, there's a divide and maybe there's not an answer right now and that's okay. But I mean, to me, the, the, the question is how do we, you know, how do people get convinced that what they're doing has been wrong? Not, not to say wrong, wrong is probably the wrong word in there, but, but what they're doing has not been as innovative as it possibly could have been and that they're going to have an advantage and yeah. that there's a, there, the more optimal way is a, you know, a, a system that everybody kind of works on and we can share and advance together. Because, I mean, the server world has bought in. I completely agree. Linux is the predominant server operating system. Windows is only used where it's needed now. Like, I mean, like it, it's completely shifted from the way that it used to be. And I think we're headed that direction. I just there's so much momentum going in the opposite direction. I'm just curious, you know, what what's the pitch? If, if you're in talking to somebody, you know, what, what is it in a practical sense? Because from an, as we sit here, we all get very excited about the networking and innovation. I, I, I think it's harder to go to a business executive and say, hey, there's this thing over here that's going to give you all this innovation and flexibility. Um, but you have uh, Cisco, which owns, you know, 80% of the market, and we know what they are. And here's a few examples of people who are doing it this way. And the best examples we can come up with are companies that are completely different um, than who I am. And so, and I think this is a problem with the, with the vendors now that the challenge that they're facing is the fact that it's hard to get enough references. I think that there's a momentum piece here of just getting enough people on board. And so I guess the question is, you know, like if you were pitching to a midsize enterprise, what's the huge advantage beyond, you know, general innovation? Like why, why should we take the risk, the perceived risk, um, to move that direction versus what we know? Russ, were you going to say something? <laughs> so, so my so my answer there, I'll tell you what my answer would be there. My answer is, do you want to optimize your business in a way that carries you into the future and build the flexibility in? And yes, it's scary, but it's a different it's a different kind of scary. I consider relying on a vendor scary in different ways too, right? Well, there's, there's a lot of truth in that. And yeah, there's, there's a ton of truth in that. There is, there is risk that is just completely unperceived risk right? Right. In, in, in the current ecosystem, right? I agree with right. that completely. So, so, so if you as a company went out and hired two coders to help Donald with free-range routing, right? Is that any more or less money than what you would spend on two CCIEs or two whatevers to manage your network? And yet then you have inside access to the code and access to a community that can help you when it breaks. So it's more of a community driven model. So it's, it's scarier from a business perspective. Wait, I don't have a phone phone. I can pick up at two o'clock in the morning and call somebody and boom, they're just going to come fix it. Well, all right, let's be honest. You don't have that today. I don't care how much money you're paying unless your bar is Jordan. You don't have that today. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for us. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think the, so. Jordan, to your, you know, to add to what Russ said, you know, when you look at the world, what I have realized is what I am beginning to realize, and maybe it's the wrong realization, but what I'm beginning to see is that there are two kinds of things. There are people who want to make a change because they see the long-term benefit. And there are people who only care about short-term benefit. What do I get in this quarter? What do I get in my the next month, et cetera? And that's all I care about. For those of you who say, I only want to look at this quarter and nothing else, I don't have much to offer you because this is certainly a longer-term play. But for those of you who think that you are leaders, and you know, I think uh, we all uh, live in uh, Lake Wabagon where everybody's above average and everybody's good-looking, and I think network engineers are not exempt from that. And I think if you think about it, the part of the problem, why people talk about, oh my God, is because they have been somehow made to think that there is a Linux networking that is different 
There is the open networking that is different. Look, if you compare an SDN solution to your knowledge of BGP or whatever else, I understand. But there are open networking solutions that are out there today. Cumulus is an example, but there are others who are trying to get into the same game, play the same pitch, etc. The key point is that that is still BGP. JR, you know, said a certification teaches you two things. It teaches you something about the concept. How does BGP work? What is BGP? What is an AS number? And it also teaches you how to type in some things, right? You type in BGP, AS number five. The two are so intertwined that a network engineer thinks that one means the other. They are not the same. You do not have to put everything together yourself. The same BGP concepts that you knew then, you also know now. But here's the benefit for you as a business administrator, as a business executive. I now have a single team that can optimize for me what is best for my business because I have people sitting together around a table rather than people squaring off of each other. Because the networking, I say, I'm not going to give you that. Sorry, I don't know what containers are. I don't know anything about it. And you know what? Networking is no longer the domain of something that's just on the outside. Containers, uh, VMs, all of those have changed networking in fundamental ways. That networking, the boundary between host and where the networking begins is no longer that clear. Yeah. And so, to me, the point is, it is important for you to be able to see the forest for the trees, number one. And as a business executive, you want to go where the puck is going, not where the puck was. That's my argument to you. Does it mean to <laughs> Very, you very well said. I completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah. And, yeah. and you, can, you can pile onto that with security because there is no inside, there is no outside anymore. The network is the network. Yeah, there's no edges. There's no edge. It's a big blob. Yeah. Right. So, so the faster you get your network to work <laughs> with your host, the faster you're going to solve the security problems you face. And that's just the way it's going to be. And, and I, I completely agree with what Dinesh said earlier. And that is that for those that don't care, they're going to go to the cloud. They're not going to want to run this anyway. Yeah. And so, and so really what is, I, I, I think, you know, when you look at the long term, there's going to be the people who care about this conversation which will become larger as we go along, just like Linux. Initially, when it started as a server operating system, there was a very hardcore group of people that needed a lot of flexibility and they worked it and they worked it and they worked it. And then all of a sudden it became more and more usable and it became more and more palatable to use. And now it's the predominant operating system. Yeah. And I, I agree it's gonna happen in networking as well. We're definitely on that path. We've seen more advancement in the past couple of years than we've seen over quite some time. And that's really, really encouraging as someone who does wanna see this happen. Um, but yeah, I think there's, I still think there is a divide. There's going to be people who care and people who don't. And I do think it's going to take some time. And I don't I think anyone's think arguing that. Yeah. I, I think it will take time. I'm not denying that, but I also think part of the reason why I want the conversation to happen is because I want it to take a little less time than it would otherwise take. <laughs> oh, I'm with you. Everybody <laughs> talking about it. Don't have this ability to think that Linux networking or open networking is not different than the BGP and everything else you knew, then you'll be less scared. If you yeah. think that the way I think about the world is one way versus another, it changes how you perceive it. And for me, the fundamental problem that I have, or the not I have, the fundamental logjam that I'm trying to break is if networking people stopped tying the things that they know from how they do it, it would change dramatically. We are not asking you to change what you know. We are asking you to think about how you do it. And with the advent of, imagine you're running FRR, right? The thing that Donald and Russ work on, I worked on it. FRR as a Cisco-like CLI, how much more closer do you want to get to be like from <laughs> that perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and my point that is that that's something that's going to change. And I think that's why it's important to make people be aware that you're learning something, you're becoming part of a larger whole in how you think about it and what you can do versus you are in this little siloed space and what you're going to do. And don't get me wrong, there'll be people who prefer to be big fish in a small pond. And 
that will always happen no matter what it is you know we are talking about networking in physics that's what happened there was not even money sums involved there yeah but yeah. people so so cool Dinesh. so i think we probably need to wrap up ooh i yep. just did something weird with the camera because it's been like 50 minutes so i think we'll wrap up um I'm like totally discombobulated because I'm in this conference room. So Dinesh, I'll start with, <laughs> where, where can people find you? Uh, do you still blog? Do you have a blog? Do we need to talk you into blogging? How does this? <laughs> so I just uh, left Cumulus Networks because uh, I felt uh, I was a little tired and my race was run. Uh, but the concept of making networking open to innovation, again, is something that uh, I'm very passionate about, about making networking easy uh, with things like either BGP unnumbered or whatever else you pick. It doesn't really matter, not at least working on solutions that put link state into BGP. <laughs> but to make networking simple again are things that matter to me. So I've been trying to do some webinars. I'm talking to people. I intend to take up some more. I'm writing a book, a second book uh, on O'Reilly with O'Reilly called EVPN in the data center. Again, hoping to simplify for the enterprise admins ways to think about their network in simple ways using technology that they may be aware of that are but are being supplied by other vendors as well. But to think about it differently and it's the mindset that I would like to change. So, and in terms of blogging, I'm not as prolific as you, Russ. Uh, writing is hard for me and I need to take a little time to write, but it's something I have been considering very seriously doing. But if you, you have wish a, to do you me, have a Twitter handle? Yes, uh, I have DD Cumulus as my Twitter. You can reach me on LinkedIn. You can also, uh, I think LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me and we can start a conversation there and go wherever you would like. Okay, cool. And Donald, how do people find you? Go to GitHub and look up that far routing. We know that, but what else? <laughs> Uh, you can reach me at me.usharp on Twitter and LinkedIn as well, actually. And Jordan, I know you're at jordanmartin.net. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, really creative on the on the URL there. Yeah, jordanmartin.net, at BC Jordan on Twitter and always at Network Collective. Yep. And I'm Russ White. You can always find me at Network Collective, rule11.tech and LinkedIn. And I don't log into Twitter. I'm going to say that enough times that people actually listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I said I said in the last episode, we're just going to keep, we're, we're just defaming your character on Twitter since you don't log in there and take a look at it. So by the time we're done, like, you know, yeah, people are going to look at you in the hallway and go to the other side. It's going to be lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. And uh, join us next time for the history of networking and come to the Network Collective for really cool technical content. Thank you very much again for having me. Thanks, thanks for coming. Thanks.